Welcome to Coffee with Connections, powered by Centurion Wealth Management. I'm your host, Cooper Zimmerman, the Director of Communications here at Centurion. We're a fiduciary financial planning firm based out of McLean, Virginia. In this podcast, well, this is an exploration of ideas, insights from high-performance professionals, and commentary on all things investing, business, and entrepreneurship. But it's important to remember that this podcast is not investment advice. This series is purely educational and for entertainment purposes only. We encourage you to consult a professional before making any financial decisions. Now, let's get to this week's interview. Before we get to the exciting interview this week with Ethan McAfee, the founder and executive chairman of Amify, I wanted to share some exciting news here at Centurion Wealth. So we've expanded, we're growing, and we've hired a CPA. A CPA has joined our firm, Steve Eddy. Welcome to Centurion Wealth Management. Now, Centurion is going to be offering tax planning and preparation services to successful families and business owners. So if you have questions about this, how this can integrate with your comprehensive financial plan and all the benefits that can uh, be unlocked from proper tax planning, please email us at info at centurionwealth.com. One of the members of our team will reach out to you and we'll get you set up with a meeting with our advisors uh, and Steve directly, and you all can go from there. But super exciting stuff here at Centurion. Uh, we continue to grow. We're going to close out the year strong in 2022 and look forward to seeing where 2023 uh, takes us. So email info at centurionwealth.com with specific questions about that. But back to this week's episode with Ethan McAfee. So look, he's the founder and executive chairman, like I said, of something called Amify. And basically they help brands win on Amazon. And I found him on LinkedIn. Uh, he was speaking about a transition of leadership exchange that he's going through right now. Uh, he's passing the CEO and COO reins down uh, to some leaders on his team. And I was, always find that as a curious moment when a leader has to decide to you know, delegate responsibility and power and kind of give the next uh, generation within their company the reins of the company. And I just kind of wanted to pick his brain on that. And we did exactly that. So we talked about leadership uh, traits entrepreneurship, delegation. So if you're a business owner, even if you have nothing to do with Amazon or e-commerce, I think this episode is extremely uh, helpful because you get to hear uh, from somebody who's in that transition, has done it, has built it, and is now kind of in that phase where they're uh, continuing to lead and be a thought leader, like he says on here, but how he can empower his company to continue growing and ultimately serve their clients and customers uh, with the best value. So we dive into all of that, as well as some other just general talk on entrepreneurship, uh, as that's what we like to do here at uh, Centurion Wealth on Coffee with Connections. Uh, so I think you're going to enjoy this episode. I found it fascinating. And without further ado, Ethan McAfee. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Coffee with Connections. Ethan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, talking, Cooper. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for thanks for jumping on. Um, we like most of the the connections I learned. Coffee with Connections. I, I found you through LinkedIn. Um, I, I saw your post, and we're going to get to that because I've got a lot of stuff I kind of want to learn about. Uh, you spoke about a transition that's occurred in your life in in your business, uh, kind of passing the reins to the next gener uh, generation of leaders, if you will, with your business with Amify. Uh, but before we jump into that, because I'd love to learn a little bit about that, maybe bring me back to, if you can, the months or weeks kind of leading up to starting this business. What were some of those early thoughts and mindsets around, like, you know what? 
what? I'm going to try this thing and it's an entrepreneurship thing and see where it goes. Like, where was your early mindset at uh, early on? Yeah, sure. So, you know, my background, I, I, I grew up in Virginia. I went to Virginia Tech and um, I graduated in 1998, kind of at the uh, the beginning of the dot-com bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're similar to you. I had gone into the investment business. And so for uh, the first 11 years of my professional career, I worked in the investment business covering internet stocks. And so my job, uh, I worked for uh, you know some uh, mutual funds and hedge funds. And my job would be to pick what uh, internet companies uh, we should invest in. And so you'd see me I'm the type of guy that you would see quoted somewhere saying, hey, you should buy Google stock or Yahoo stock or AOL stock back in those days. But, um, you know, for 11 years, I covered the Internet stocks as an investment analyst. And I really had seen the growth of Amazon and uh, from the investment analyst side. And so after 11 years of covering Amazon as a company, I said, you know, I'm tired of investing in companies and I kind of wanted to start my own. So I ended up starting Amify in 2011. Um, out of my townhouse in Arlington, Virginia, and the you know right then, what, what, why I started the business was um, you know Amazon was really kind of going through this uh, transformational change from mostly a books and CDs company that they sold those products themselves to really having this marketplace where you had all these third-party sellers who could list anything, um, and it was Amazon was really transforming into the everything store where it is now where. Uh, you go there and you can purchase you know anything from books and CDs to refrigerators to widgets of all sorts. Um, and, I, and I felt that there was a big opportunity. And so you know that's where I uh, uh, the impetus for starting uh, Amify. And that so you so you saw, I mean, obviously around that time frame, you know social media was just coming into the frame. so you couldn't even maybe truly predict like the I guess the director consumer model of people that have large followings can instantly kind of also be their own like storefront. You were more thinking of the frame of, okay, I know I want to be involved in it. And then, but your business per se is not necessarily you or maybe executing yourself on, on Amazon, but helping others, empowering them to learn and understand how to, how to navigate that marketplace. Is that accurate to say? Yeah. So what Amify does is we help brands, uh, achieve their potential in the Amazon marketplace. And so what you have is you have a whole bunch of brands who realize that Amazon is a big growing driver. Uh, and they also realize that they don't have the internal capabilities to do this themselves. And so instead of building out their own internal Amazon team, uh, you know, uh, these brands would hire us to basically become their outsourced Amazon. Uh, think of us as your chief Amazon officer um, and executor for most of these brands. And so you know, we work with a lot of kind of your larger direct-to-consumer brands, uh, that you'd probably get, you know, Facebook ads for. Um, uh, and since we focus on one thing, which is helping brands on Amazon, hopefully we can do it better than every uh, you know, anybody else out there. On e-commerce model, do you see, is it still growing at a rate that it has been? Do you still feel like it? we're still in the early innings of uh, of the e-commerce world, of the ability of of small businesses being able to to use this these digital marketplace to deliver value to their, you know, their fans or followers or customers? Um, like, where do you kind of, in the maturity of the e-commerce world, uh, are you, because I've, you know, some, you read online, or if you're looking to start a business, you might, oh, maybe it's too late. Maybe I've missed the Amazonification of this and that industry, but what, because you're so closely in it all the time, like where do you assess the overall industry in terms of like, you know, just where it's at, I guess, as an industry? Yeah. So I, a couple of things. So e-commerce, uh, you know, obviously has been around for about 20 years now mm-hmm. um, and COVID has really impacted that. And so, uh, you know, pre-COVID um, e-commerce was roughly 20% of total uh, retail, which basically means 
of the time when you bought something, you were buying it at a brick and mortar store and only 20% of the time you were buying it on uh, online. And obviously Amazon's the largest player in the e-commerce space with roughly 50% market share. Mm -hmm. uh, COVID, it really changed the business, right? And so when COVID hit, all the brick and mortar stores closed. Uh, we saw a humongous demand for uh, shopping online, basically because you couldn't go to brick and mortar stores. Right. Uh, you know, e-commerce went from 20% of total retail to about 30% overnight, uh, largely because of stores shutting down. Um, the entire e-commerce industry grew 50% year over year uh, because of COVID. Uh, what you're seeing now is this year is kind of like the you know kind of the catch-up year, right? And so uh, COVID has largely people have stopped talking about it. Stores have reopened. Everybody in the world is out traveling around the United States and having fun, uh, which and they're also buying products back in brick and mortar stores. And so after seeing like 50% growth last year, you know the industry has really seen basically flat 0% year over year growth this year. Uh, but what's really happening here, I think, is just that there's a underlying trend line that continues to see growth, uh, but you had this basically COVID moved uh, demand forward, uh, and now we're kind of that that going back to normal. Um, we have seen some you know signs that after basically zero percent growth this year, the industry is like rebounding. I think Amazon grew their uh, their e-commerce sales about fifteen percent year over year. Um, in the last quarter. And so we're seeing like a reacceleration. I think kind of back to that trend line growth. Um, I think your second question was, you know, is it quote too late for brands, to, you know, brands to get in? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that, 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 you know, the business is definitely changing. Um, so yes and no to that, which is, it is easier now to create a brand than ever, <laughs> just because right. you can create a product, you can put it on Amazon, you can put it on your website. And now you have access to, you know, hundreds of millions of people almost instantaneously. Uh, at the same time, you know, the costs of doing that are going up, right? Like everybody now realizes Amazon is like a, a huge opportunity. Um, and so, you know, to do Amazon right, it means you have to launch with, you know, a large advertising campaign and you're quickly getting into the hundreds of thousands of dollars um, uh, uh, without too much work, uh, especially on the advertising side. And so, you know, the early days of the small little mom and pop selling on eBay and Amazon still exist to some extent, but it's definitely getting much, much more competitive in the, you know, um, uh, hey, you're just going to launch on Amazon become an overnight millionaire is much, much harder than it used to be. Is there a threat, and this might not be a clean, perfect analogy, but, you know, I'm a, a student trying to, so I, I run, you know, kind of off topic, but run like that, that West Virginia kind of media company, if you will, that I mentioned before we started recording. Um, and I've thought about trying to get into an Airbnb. And I think a competitive advantage that we have is that we have an existing, you know, website traffic, landing page following, you know, quote unquote, customer base, if you will. And the threat that I've kind of studied of, of or an opportunity of listing a property on Airbnb is that, okay, maybe you don't need the Amazon or the Airbnb platform. If you have a following or a connection, you can just go direct to them. Is there a, a similarity in that with Amazon? Is there a threat of, of businesses using Amazon per se, instead of investing in their own like complete operations or from your perspective, like what's the, what's, what's still the value of Amazon, like still using Amazon, I guess, storefront marketplace as a platform for these big, for the brands to sell their product. Hopefully that, yeah, hopefully that know, connection makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there, I think for a long time, there's been two distinct attitudes about Amazon. Attitude number one is, you know, I'm a, a big name brand company. I want to sell my products on my website. I don't want to have my products listed on Amazon because right. 
uh, you know, that dilutes my brand. Why am I giving Amazon all this money when I could make it myself? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you saw a lot of companies do that. Um, the second thing, then you had the second, the other attitude was, hey, my customers want to buy on Amazon and I need to be where my customers are. And because mm-hmm. half e-commerce is on Amazon, me as a brand has to be on Amazon. Um, I think over the last year or two, you've really kind of seen an evolution that many brands are waking up and realizing that it's kind of number two, which is they have to be on Amazon to be relevant. Uh, you've seen Peloton, who for a long, long time would not sell um, outside of their own stores and website. Mm-hmm. You know, Now they launched on Amazon. Just in the last day or two, you saw a gap announce they're going to be on Amazon and have big partnerships. And I think what's happening here a little bit is these brands are realizing that they need to be where the customers are. They're on it. The customers are on Amazon. We need to be there. We might as well give our customers what they want. I think they're mm-hmm. also viewing it as like a revenue opportunity, which is if we don't do this, our competitors are going to take clients from us and brands or, or, or customers from us. Um, and so we might as well, um, you know, get our fair share. Makes no makes makes sense. And one more specific Amazon question. I do want to kind of get into some of your thoughts on the leadership because uh, in relation to your transition, um, it, it role with the company, um, but. Maybe help me differentiate because I think a lot of entrepreneurs or people, they see e-commerce and there's also this um, positioning, particularly on social media, that's very popular of creating an Amazon storefront. Basically, it's like you buy into just owning an Amazon storefront and maybe they themselves are not, you know, a, like a light switch company, but they they buy it from kind of like an arbitrage. They can buy it, yeah. source it, sell it on Amazon. Are you still seeing that? Is that any? Is that still in your own scope, or like what? What are your thoughts on that usage of Amazon as a storefront? Yeah, so I mean, you know, Amify really helps like establish brands, like reach their full potential um, on mm-hmm. Amazon. I, I think what's sort of happened in Facebook and all these things is really promoted, but you know, it's called passive income, which is right. These hey, you know buy this Amazon storefront and make passive income and do no, right. no work and make a whole bunch of money. I mean, I think that these, you know, for, for large extent, you know, those are not effectively, I mean, they're basically scams or, mm-hmm. you know, yes, maybe one out of a hundred people actually gets the passive income they expect. But, um, uh, you know, Amazon is unbelievably competitive. You know, we launch products for major Fortune 500 companies, and sometimes they fail, and it's because mm-hmm. it's just so competitive. And so, these people who are going out there promoting these kind of get-rich quick schemes or these passive income, you know, streams, I, I highly doubt that they're actually anywhere close to as successful as they claim to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these arbitrage opportunities usually dry up pretty fast. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe you can make some money. Um, I mean, there's a, you know a lot of discussion about how you can go to like your local library and buy used books and sell them on Amazon and make money, which is totally true. Mm -hmm. Um, You can do that. But if you then look at how much work and effort it took for you to make that $2 by selling that book, you quickly realize you're, you know, at minimum wage pretty, pretty quickly. Um, And so I, I, uh, in general, don't believe a lot of those kind of get rich quick um, passive income um, things that you see out there. And I mean, the main reason was if it was so easy to make money. Why wouldn't these people be doing it themselves? Right. Uh, um, yeah, so, just, so I kind of doubt it. I'm just curious about that. It just seems like I've seen an uptick in that, but maybe because of the pandemic and it seems like it was just like a kind of like a, a wave of like, you know, investing in that, like you said, that passive income. I was just curious to hear someone who's so intimately knowing Amazon, if if that was something that was, you know, considered pretty legit or if it was like, like you kind of alluded to. Um, which, I mean, it sounds too good to be true. Sometimes the old adage kind of, you know, it, it makes sense for a reason. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, magically they want you to pay up front, I think is the key thing. Right. Um, if it was really such a good thing, they'd be happy to take a percentage of revenue over mm -hmm. a percentage of profit over time, which tells me that, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, it isn't as great as they say. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, okay, well then for, you know, the business listeners, you know, other folks listening to us, I think this is something that, um, you know, is not necessarily specific to Amazon or your specific business scope, but you recently posted, the reason kind of I saw you on LinkedIn was that um, you hit a point, I'm assuming a good point in your life and company where it kind of makes sense to kind of pass on the leadership roles to new people. I think you named a new CEO and a new COO. Um, right. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, how you kind of arrived at, if you had a, a, a mythology, like how do you arrive at that decision? Like, okay, now it's time to do that. Um, I think it's kind of funny. You and um, Jeff Bezos kind of both uh, maybe have taken that, taken that same role as stepping back on thought leadership and still you're, you're the executive chairman of your company now, but you want someone else is coming in to run, run a CEO. What made you think that, you know, if people were thinking they're at that point with their own business, kind of what were some of your ways of identifying, Hey, I think it, it might be time for me to make this transition. Yeah, you know, so I started the uh, company 11 years ago um, in my townhouse. Uh, and over the 11 years, you know, we, we've been lucky enough and kind of been at the right place at the right time. Amazon obviously has grown immensely over those 11 years. And so, the, you know, the company has grown um, pretty dramatically. We took, uh, you know, venture capital financing along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and we grew the team to, you know, about, I think we have roughly about 70 employees or so. Um, okay. Uh, and so a, a couple of things that happened. One, after 11 years, you've kind of been there and done that. Um, and uh, you, you, you've you've kind of proven to yourself that you you know you have the ability to do this and whatnot, and there's like a little bit less to prove. Sure. Um, the second thing I'd say is like as you grow the business, your role as like the CEO, founder, entrepreneur um, really changes, and and I think all of us have things that we're really good at and things that we're not so good at. And and for me, I really like um, kind of getting my hands dirty and like talking with clients and stuff like that. But over time, as the business gets bigger and bigger and bigger, your job as a CEO kind of really gets much more into like the organizational management and, um, setting up, you know, accountability structures and hiring and firing and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and you know, after 11 years, I, I kind of said, Hey, I, I want to get back to what I actually like to do rather than what I am required to do as CEO. And so what I like to do is talk to clients, um, and talk to brands and trying to, see where the market in the world's going and, and, and talk to them about that. And so um, I also realized that there was a, a couple other people in my organization who are a lot better than me at doing the the, the management. Um, and so let's give them kind of a chance to kind of step up and um, focus on that. And then I say the third thing is, you know, we, uh, my wife and I had our first uh, baby. We had a baby girl about a year ago. Oh, wow. um, Congrats. And um, uh, you know, that, that kind of coincides with a whole bunch of other moving pieces, which kind of said like, Hey, now's a kind of a good time, right? It's been 11 years. We just had a baby. Um, uh, let's kind of, uh, um, allow some other people take all the great things that we've done as a company, but then kind of take them to the next level. Um, you know, I think that whenever you have some new blood and again, these people were promoted, um, mm -hmm. Chris Morabi and Christine McCambridge had been working with us for several years. Um, they have a lot of energy and new ideas and like, let's let them run with those ideas. And, um, yeah, it's been working out great. Really excited about it so far. Did that did that philosophy come natural to you? Did you feel like you had to like like arrive at that, like the the letting go, if you will? I think sometimes a lot of business owners, quite honestly, like struggle with that. Small business owners is that like that delegation, and a lot of you know for decades it's been a part of their identity, and they they like being the buck stops with me, and you know kind of in control of everything. Like, how did you do? You feel like you arrived at that pretty naturally, or did you kind of consult with friends, like network peers, like uh, like maybe help me understand? Um, the reason or maybe like just your personal uh process behind that if you will 
Yeah, I mean, um, there's a really good book called The E-Myth that I had always read. And what The E-Myth book about is all about delegation, right? Okay. And so if you're a business owner, you start a business, it's in your townhouse, it's in your, you know, your bakery, it's what The E-Myth was all about. Um, it's really hard for a single person to manage more than you know, 15 or 20 employees. And so you really see a lot of companies kind of max out at 15 or 20 employees. And the whole thing behind Emeth was about it. You start, to, you have to start delegating uh, to other people if you ever want to grow above a certain level. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very scary, right? Because those sure. people that you're going to hire um, are never going to have the same passion uh, and not background knowledge that you ever could. And like, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. And, um, which is, you know, we've made a ton of mistakes over the years. But I kind of said like, hey, you know, if we want to be one of the market leaders on the Amazon platform, I need to learn how to delegate. I need to learn how to do it pretty good and pretty early. Um, and so that's, how, you know, we've hired a lot of people. We've made a lot of mistakes, but we've also grown a lot. And it's, it's allowed us to grow uh, into one of the largest players in the Amazon space. And you know, when I looked at it, it is like, from my perspective, is I also, as a, as a leader, like my skill set needs to change over time, especially as we grow, because what a company needs at 20 employees or 50 or 70 is pretty dramatically different. Um, and then you have to ask yourself, what do you really like to do as well? Um, and I realized that, you know, me talking with clients on a regular basis is, is not unbelievably scalable if I'm also trying to run the company. Uh, and I started asking myself, well, what am I like the best in the world at? Um, am I the best in the world at running companies? No, I'm the best in the world at probably seeing where Amazon's going and what brands mm. need to be doing there. And so why don't I spend my time and effort doing that rather than stuff that I, you know, I enjoy, but I don't love doing. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely hard, you know, as an entrepreneur, like uh, any company you start is your baby. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, I say kids, you know, babies grow up to be kids and toddlers and then they run off to college and stuff like that. And um, you kind of have to know where you are along that line and uh, what type of guidance that company needs. Um uh, and, and we had built a great uh, senior team below me over those years. So uh, that makes it a lot easier to hand over the reins too. Well, so it's, it's been 11 years. So your quote unquote baby is almost becoming a, a teenager. <laughs> um, uh, what have you learned over that? I mean, just kind of back even outside of, of Amazon like as an entrepreneur, because a lot of folks that listen to this are entrepreneurs themselves. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it's becoming a hot thing. I think over the last decade, technology tools have empowered more people to build businesses, certainly. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people, even with like, I, I call it, um, you know, COVID kind of had an awakening of people that, wait a second, maybe I don't want to work for this company. Maybe I do want to start my own thing. Like for your personal journey experience, um, entrepreneurship, um, did it come from just wanting to creative execute, being in control of your lifestyle and figure Like, where did you kind of feel like you drew the inspiration for entrepreneurship? Yeah, you know, I had uh, um, I had worked for several big companies before and kind of learned. And I kind of said to myself, "Hey, you know, instead of investing in companies, why don't I try to start my own?" And I think for me, I was always it, it, to be an entrepreneur. It pays to be unbelievably curious about how things work. And so, you know, I had started Amify when I was at graduate in graduate school, and I had also started like three or four other things that all failed um, during that time period. So, you know, I think from entrepreneurship, step one is you have to be unbelievably curious. You have to want to know how everything works. Um, uh, and so ha having that really helps. Um, and then the second thing I, from an entrepreneur's perspective, for me, it's always about you have to start, right? There's a lot of entrepreneurs who like pontificate about an idea for a long, long, long time. Um, uh, but as an entrepreneur, like it's just so important to start somewhere. You have to start doing something. You have to start moving 
the needle forward. Otherwise, you're never going to get there. And so it could be starting your website. It could be, you know, developing your first product or whatever it is. But um, just starting because you, I think a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck up in their head of like, oh, this is what I want to create. And then you start going down that path and it doesn't work. Um, and you need to be able to pivot and pivot and pivot. You know, I started Amify not as a company um, helping some of the world largest brands on Amazon. I started it selling pickleball paddles on the Amazon platform <laughs> 11 years ago. Um, and I had no idea, like starting from where, you know, from there is where would be, you know, now with, you know, millions and millions of dollars of sales on behalf of our clients. Hey, well, I think you were early on to something with pickleball. If you were on that 10 years ago, because pickleball <laughs> over the last couple of years is booming now. So. Yeah. My, my somewhat joking claim the family. I mean, I started, I was like the first uh, major seller of pickleball paddles on Amazon 11 years ago. Um, I guess we were ahead of the game there a little bit. So, um, uh, and obviously the pickleball market's grown up a lot of those years. So 11 years ago, nobody even knew what the product was. And everybody thought I was silly. Uh, but um, hey, somewhere along the line, we made some great, good decisions. Yeah. Yeah. You were early adopter of that. Um, well, what about like self-education? I'm always curious. I'm, a, I'm, I'm someone who I, I would agree that you learning through actions, you can always mess things up. You learn a lot quicker and fail, you know, adjust and grow instead of overanalyzing, you know, you know, paralysis analysis kind of situation. I learn that I enjoy, I guess, reading the work of other, like a lot of biographies. I try to um, just learn about the other success of entrepreneurs and uh, methods they've adopted. How do you, I guess, what's your self-education methods? What would have seemed to work for you? Podcast books, you know, can maybe may, might be even just the uh, organization we talked about before we jumped on, just having a strong, diverse network of professionals to kind of lean on. Like, what are some of the things that you've kind of over the years have leaned into? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the uh, for me, the most important thing is surrounding yourself with people in your same shoes, right? And so I think what happens to a lot of entrepreneurs is, you know, they go to high school, they go to college. Um, their college, their friends all go get real jobs, um, and there aren't very many business owners or entrepreneurs. So, um, for, for me, you know, step one is surround yourself with other entrepreneurs. Um, uh, I joined an organization early on called Entrepreneurs Organization. It's a nonprofit um, that has chapters in uh, most large cities across the country, uh, and there's I, I think around 160 members in the Washington D.C. chapter, and we get together on a regular basis and talk about what's going good and what's going bad in each other's businesses and share a network. Uh, and, and those type of organizations are the most valuable thing because whatever problem you're having as an entrepreneur, somebody else has already had it. They probably had it much worse than you did and probably with an extra zero, um, you know, mm. amount with every number. Um, uh, so, so surrounding yourselves with other entrepreneurs, it makes you feel like you're not the only crazy one. You learn so much from them. Um, that's been super valuable. Um, I say my favorite podcast, and you know, I, I love how I built this with by Guy Raz, and you just realize that, like, hey, um, you really need to think of being an entrepreneur, much like being a professional sports player or something. Which is, um, this is a lot of work. Uh, very few companies are successful at the end. Uh, there's definitely ups and downs in all of them. Uh, whatever problem you've had, somebody else has done it, um, but you can still be successful through it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I think those would be kind of some of my my thoughts and advice there. What are you most optimistic about? Like as this new, you know, you're kind of this new role as executive chairman. Um, what are you most optimistic about now? Like with this new kind of relationship with the company? Um, well, you know, I'm very optimistic that, you know, we're still in the early stages of e-commerce, right? Which is 75% of retail purchases will still bought in a brick and mortar store. That's only 25% online. Um, 
as uh, Amazon gets more and more warehouses across the country, you're going to get to a point where you have one hour delivery for most products. Wow. And once it's one hour delivery, why would I ever go to the, you know, a brick and mortar store for most purchases? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm optimistic that like, man, there's this huge, massive change in the world going on. We're still, even though it's, you know, we've been doing e-commerce for 20 years, we're still kind of early innings. Brands still need to try to figure this out. There's going to be some new winners and new losers in the market. Um, it's just exciting to see it, you know, kind of from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a reason why you're seeing like, you know, even like Walmart themselves, like investing in their own capabilities, like similar, like for delivery and, you know, the grocery stores even trying to compete. I'm sure with, you know, with, I mean, I, I get my groceries delivered from Whole Foods. I, I, <laughs> I go on an app and I hit my, you know, go to the Whole Foods app and, you know, a guy shows up and drops off the food like that. And we just started doing that over COVID. So, I mean, I think more and more areas of our life, you're right. I mean, it's, it's already present, but it's increasingly uh growing and i mean at the end of the day consumers want efficiency and you know value and brought to them and we all lead busy lives so i think it's only only going to continue to grow from here i don't i can't can't see a world where we retreat from that sort of uh interactions yeah and again i think of like what happens when you have one hour delivery um you know mm-hmm. that it, it just it means it's just easier to buy it online than going down to your local store in almost every single situation then we're going to get there and that's what I mean, I don't know if it's going to be through drones or autonomous robo taxis or whatever it may be, but mm-hmm. we're, we're going to get there pretty soon. Um, uh, uh, and, and much more integrated returns and all these types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that gets me excited. Um, I, you know, I think like uh, when you're an entrepreneur, what you're really trying to do is kind of predict how the world's going to change and then create your or start your business and move your business into an area that benefits from those changes. Um, and you know, we're still 25% e-commerce, 75% brick and mortar. We're still kind of in the early innings here. Um, so uh, that makes me optimistic about uh, my company, but also, you know, the e-commerce space in general. Is it strictly U.S. or is it a, like internationally as well? You know, a- a- MFI is mostly a U.S. focused business. Um, we do help brands on uh, Amazon Europe, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Amazon Canada, Amazon Mexico, um, a little bit of damage on Japan, but you know, usually the vast majority of the brands sell their price in the United States. Um, uh, you know, it, it, there starts to become a lot of logistical issues of how do you get product to you know Mexico or Germany. Sure. Um, there's language barriers and all those type of things um, as well. But so it's, it's mostly United States. But we, we are we do have um, uh, clients you know across the country uh, across the world as well. I gotcha. Well, cool, man. Look, Ethan, I appreciate it. I mean, I always like learning the perspective of, um, you know, entrepreneurs. I think a lot of the folks listening on here, they're, they're trying to pick up something. I think you dropped a, a lot of ton, a ton of good nuggets for uh, for folks to lean into. What's, I mean, someone has a question, they want to, maybe they want to reach out to you with, with a question about entrepreneurship or Amphi. What's, what's the best place to find you? Is your website, social media profile? What's the best way to reach out to you guys? Yeah, it's, uh, the best way is probably through my LinkedIn page. Uh, so at LinkedIn, my name's Ethan McAfee from Amify, you know, E-T-H-A-N-M-C-A-F-E-E. Happy to talk to anybody. Just feel free to reach out.